Well, good morning, church. Let me add my word of welcome. My name's Tanner Fox. I'm one of the pastors here at First Prez. I trust that you all had a good Christmas and a happy new year. Yes? Good. Okay, a little bit. Some of you are like, no. Some of it was hard. Yeah? Okay. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a hard year, right? It's been a, a difficult season that we've been in. Um, and that's why I wanted to preach from Revelation chapter 21 today. Uh, we come to a new year here in 2021, and I get to be the first sermon that you hear, which is so exciting. And yet I was wrestling over what I wanted to teach on. And then I realized I've never taught on Revelation 21, even though it's one of my favorite passages. And my wife tells me that I say that about every passage that I preach on. So take that for what it's worth. But um, whenever we start something new, sometimes it's helpful to go to the end first and, and see where it's all headed. And I think the end has something profound to say about the present. And here at First Prez, we talk about um, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Have you heard that before? Yes? You can probably say it with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Four words that hold the entire story of the whole world together. Four words. And so today, as we look at Revelation chapter 21, what we're looking at is the restoration phase. All throughout Advent, these last few weeks, we talked about Jesus's first Advent, right? Advent means coming, his first coming. That's the redemption phase. It's inaugurated in Jesus in his first coming. But the restoration phase is his second Advent, his second coming, how he's going to inaugurate a kingdom that is visible and present and alive and beautiful and wonderful. And I want us, if you will, Join with me to use your imaginations today just a bit to look forward at this beautiful picture of what God has in store for his people and for his world. I, I think and I hope and I pray that as we connect our lives to that living hope in Revelation 21, that it will transform the way in which we are going to move into 2021. So if you would stand with me as we read from Revelation chapter 21. Verses one through seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to, to him drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So let me ask you this. Have you ever, have we ever, has the world ever been more interested in the turning of a calendar page than we are this year? There are t-shirts. There are Christmas ornaments, apparently. 
about the dumpster fire that was 2020. I don't think we've ever collectively been more excited about the potential of newness like we are here in 2021. And yet, I highly doubt that you all are naive enough to think that turning a calendar page will actually change anything. I highly doubt that any of you are naive enough to truly believe that just because we write 2021 on the end of our checks and our school papers and things like that, that means that inevitably things will get better. The truth is we have so many questions coming into this year. Will 2021 be as COVID-shaped as 2020 was? What about politics? What about the economy? What about job loss? What about the new strain that they just caught in Colorado? All of these questions we're asking ourselves just because it's 2021 does not mean necessarily that things are going to get better. And so that leads us to the question, okay, how do we endure? How do we face another year that may not be all that we hope for? How do we move back into this world with hope, with courage? How do we press on? That's why I wanted to preach on this today. Again, I think what happens in the future profoundly matters for what we do in the present. The original audience of this passage, of this vision of the new heavens and the new earth was the church in the first century. And in that time, there was an emperor named Domitian, and he would persecute Christians unlike anyone had ever seen. He would maim them, he would kill them, he would burn them, he would throw them into uh, the, the den with lights. He would do all sorts of things to these Christians, take their homes away, take their family away, all because they were Christians. And as we look at their story, we have to ask the question, did they endure? How, how did they make it? How did they make it through? What did they do? What, did, what resources did they have? And the story that we get is, in fact, they did endure. And not just those folks in that century, but Christianity endured on and on and on through the years until we sit here now. And what was the resource that they had? They had a beautiful vision of what was to come. They had a beautiful vision of what their Jesus, this man from Nazareth, this vagabond teacher who never had a home to lay his head in, of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the promise of a second coming. Because you see, friends, the posture with which we live each day is directly connected to our perception of how things are going to turn out in the end. They're tied They're linked. You can't separate them. How things are going to go in the end. If we've got hope that something can happen, we can endure the present. There was this study done a while back. They studied um, a a group of rats, right? And uh, this story does uh, involve the the hurting of rats. And so if, if that's sad to you, I'm sorry. But also, I mean, when you see one in your backyard, what do you think? Like, let's bring that in as a pet. Of course not. You're like, where are the rat traps? So don't get too hung up on that. But people... They took these rats and they they put them in some water and they tried to see how long they could swim. And they weren't studying rats' swimming patterns. Who cares, right? They were studying hope. And so they got all this data from the first set of rats that hung on a bit, swam for a while, and then didn't swim anymore. (laughs) Thanks, Case. (laughs) But then they introduced a variable. They put rats in some water 
and then they sent someone in the room when the rats were just about to be done swimming, and they picked them up and just held them for just a little bit. And when they put those rats back down in water, do you know what they did? They swam, and they swam, and they swam, and they swam exponentially longer than any other rats before. Why? Why did they do that? Hope. Hope that something might move into this world and reach down and pull you out of the circumstance. Are we any different? Are we any different if if despair creeps in, if the difficulties of the world creeps in and steals all the hope that we have? Are we any different? No, of course we're going to give up. But if we think, even just for a minute, that there is a hand, that there is someone outside of our experience that can move towards us and scoop us out of our little pail of water, what do we do? We swim and we swim and we swim, and we swim, and we swim. And here's the hand. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And then here's what he said. I am the firstborn among the dead. Do you know what that means? That there's more to come. That death is not the end. That Christ is the firstborn among the dead, and therefore the firstborn among the living in this new world that he's going to give us. It's such an incredible promise. It fueled the first century church. It was the bedrock of their perseverance. It was an anchor for their soul, a hope that was personal, a hope that was alive, a hope that was untouchable by the circumstances that they were enduring, a hope that has promised to right all the wrongs and to heal all the wounds. That's what we're going to talk about today. A hope that is going to right all the wrongs and heal all of the wounds. And so that's what gets us to Revelation chapter 21 today. So we're going to use these three questions to to get through this text. What is it? Why do we need it? And how should we live? What is it? Why do we need it? And how should we live? What is it? It's a vision. Revelation 21 is a vision of a new reality, a renewed world. Verse 1, there's a new heavens and a new earth because the first heavens and the first earth had passed away and says there's no longer any sea. Now, beachgoers, that might be sad for you, right? No, no beach in the new heavens and new earth. The beach, the, the, the water, the ocean, these big bodies of waters, they're symbols of chaos. In the ancient Near East and even in through the New Testament, what the people felt about the sea, what it was, it was uncontrollable that evil things came from the sea. It was completely unknown. They had all of these tales and myths about the gods that were evil that would come to kill and destroy, and they came out of the deep. And what does Jesus do? He goes across the water and a storm rises up. And what does he say? Peace be still. Who is this man? Who is this man that can control chaos? Who's this man that can get rid of the sea? All the unknowns of the world, all the terror It's the man who sits on the throne. Not only that, but there's a new Jerusalem, a new city. Now, this might blow some of your minds, but the reality that we're going to experience with God in eternity is not some floaty spiritual reality where you're wondering, like, do I get wings? Do I not get wings? How does all that work? It's different than that. It's it's bodily. Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I'm the firstborn. And he walked around. He said, you want to see? Look at these scars. This is a body and you will have one too, friends. We can trust that. We can trust that our resurrection is going to be bodily in that way. And it's probably going to be far more like our experience here and now than something that's nebulous and floaty because it says we will get to reign and serve in the new creation. 
Now, if that blows your mind, or if you're like, I don't believe this guy, or if you have more questions, my email is dswanson at fpco. I'm just kidding. It's tfox at fpco.org. I'd be happy to talk to you about this stuff. This changed my whole perspective on what it means to spend eternity with God. Jesus Christ is the first fruits among the dead. But not only that, not only do we have a new space, we have renewed relationship. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And in verse seven, he says, I will be their God and they will be my children and my sons. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve all the way back? Genesis 1, 2, 3. Do you remember the the sadness of the story? Not only did Adam and Eve start to fight, not only did they feel shame about their nakedness, but they were banished from the garden. And it wasn't bad just because it was a nice garden. It was bad because God's presence dwelt there and they no longer could experience God's presence in that same way. And as you work all the way through the Old Testament to the New, what do you see? God moving closer and closer to his people in all sorts of ways. He's in a cloud. He's in a pillar of fire. He's in a smoking pot. He's in all of these different things. And then Solomon builds this temple and the presence of God fills the temple and there's great joy. Why? Because the temple was beautiful? No because God's presence was there. And we move closer and closer with promise after promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And what did we celebrate just a week ago? Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus in the flesh, which is such a gift and is so wonderful. And yet it pales in comparison to spending time face to face with our God in the new heavens and the new earth. Think back to the patriarchs. Think back to the heroes of the faith. What did they say they longed for? You remember Moses saying, I I won't even go anywhere unless you promise your presence to go with us. What about David? What does David say in Psalm 27? One thing I ask, this only do I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What did David know that we don't? I think often what I don't know is that Christ is what Christ offers. Not the stuff that Jesus is going to give me, not the the hope of, of better circumstance or things that I want, but Jesus himself, he offers himself. Christ is what Christ offers. There is no greater gift. There is no more fullness. There is no more wonderful thing. Christ is what Christ offers. He offers himself. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we see him not as in a reflection, but face to face. Can you grab onto that just for a second? Can you imagine the beauty and the wonder of seeing your creator face to face? Finally, we have a fulfilled longing. Jesus offers this promise. He says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning, death, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. And his second promise to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. all things new. Are you in for that? Interested? 
I've had multiple conversations about how Christmas was so unbelievably hard this year. Most of those conversations had to do with unbelievable loss. How do I celebrate an open presence and act like things are okay when they're not okay? And yet Jesus says, all of the stuff of this world, the sickness, the crying, the mourning, the death, all of it, trade all of it for all things new. No more graveyards, no more memorial services, no more obituaries, no more scrapes, bumps, or bruises, no more accidents that leave us gripped by the trauma of our loss, no more fear of horrible things coming out from under your bed and getting you at night. No more fear that we're not gonna have loved ones. They're gonna be taken from us somehow. You give all of that up for all things new. And for those of you that feel like your souls are thirsty and weary and tired, the thirst of life will finally be quenched for we have come to a place where Jesus can finally and fully offer us. Do you remember the living water? Do you remember that story of the good Samaritan woman at the well when she has to come back to the well over and over and over again and Jesus says, if you take the water I have, you'll never thirst again. Here it is. Revelation 21, draw near and he will give water to us without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's a good vision. It's a beautiful vision. Why do we need it? Seems like it's pretty far out, right? Not, not super near to us. Why do we need it? Well, first, things are as bad as they seem, right? 2020, we actually felt that, that things in this world are broken and bad and messed up, and there is death and mourning and crying and pain all around us. Second, why do we need it? Because the world doesn't have good answers. Go look. Go look in other religions, go look in other places, go look in other worldviews, go look within yourself even. Check there, see if you can find it. Follow your heart's desire to its end. See if it helps. See if it deals with the great problem of the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in you. Friends, the world does not have good answers. We have momentary answers that deal with current circumstance. A vaccine, is it a bad thing? No, hopefully it's a great thing, but does it solve the big problem? No, it doesn't. A new political leader, is it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? I don't know, you tell me, but is it gonna solve the ultimate problem? No, it's not. Is it a new curriculum? Is it a new understanding of equality? What is it? What's gonna solve all of it? The world says, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, believe this. Does, is any of it going to solve the great problem? No. But God, on the other hand, has promised not simply an answer for immediate circumstance, but he has the, the ability to deal with the darkness and the chaos, the evil and the brokenness and the sin and the death that we experience all around us. We need this vision from John. We need revelation. We need restoration. We need the fourth chapter of this gospel. And God has said he will, not he might, not he may, he will deal with the brokenness of this world and heal the wounds that we have. Let me explain. First, how does Jesus deal with the brokenness of this world? In the person and the work of Christ, the evil that we call sin in the world is dealt with on two levels, both personal and cosmic, right? Both internal and 
external. He's dealing with both of those things. Through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus is redeeming and restoring his world. He's ridding it of the curse. You know that song we sing, So Far As the Curse Is Found? People always say we sing our theology as Presbyterians. We do. We've sang pretty much the whole sermon already. You're just rehearing it in a more boring, slower way, right? So far as the curse is found, and that means it's not only outside of us, that the curse is evident and found outside of us, but it's also healing and dealing with the curse inside of us, right? Because the curse touches all things. The curse is the root of the brokenness that comes out in things like COVID and things like earthquakes and things like hurricanes. All that stuff is a part of the brokenness that the world's not functioning as it should, but it's also the root cause in the way that we lose our tempers with people in our family or our friends or our kids. It's also the root of the sin that grows up in us that becomes pride where we act passive aggressively or grow bitter bitterness in our hearts towards other people. Do you see it? Do you understand that? There's twofold nature of this, that the curse is expansive. It's touched everything. And here's what's true. Our culture, we give, our culture gets a bad rap from us a lot, right? And in some ways they should. But here's what's true. They get a lot of things right. They get it right when they call, call out cosmic evil. They get it right when they say, hey, COVID's a really bad thing and we should do everything we can as humans to be responsible for other humans and keep other people safe. You disagree? Of course not. The culture's saying, hey, you need to be responsible for your neighbor. That's a Jesus thing. Jesus said that, <laughs> right? They're also very good at calling out personal sin in who? In other people. <laughs> We're all pretty good at that too, right? They're very quick to say, you're acting uh, in an inequitable way. You're causing oppression. You're doing this. And we need to say yes and amen. You got to call that stuff out. But where we move in and transform the culture is in the recognition of sin and brokenness in us. We lead in ways of humility seeing the bigger picture, recognizing that sin touches everything and it touches deeply in here. And so we respond to people with mercy and grace. We respond with humility. We respond by saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. We reveal to them what it looks like to apologize for the different things. In that way, we reveal our gospel humility because common grace can teach the whole world about a lot of the brokenness, but special grace in Christ is what we have that has shown us the ugliness the hatefulness and the misery of our own sin. And the world needs to see that. They need to recognize that the problem is outside and inside. Once upon a time, there was a, a group of folks that asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And they asked people to submit a bunch of articles to help people understand what is wrong with the world. And, and people went on and on about the, the difficulties of the big problem of sin and evil and politics and blah, 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 blah. And then one man, G.K. Chesterton, might've heard his name before, he wrote back and said, dear sirs, what is wrong with the world? I am. What did G.K. Chesterton know? <laughs> that as much as there's sin and brokenness outside and all around, it's also nestled deeply within our own hearts. And if we don't see that, then restoration and healing will never come because the gospel starts in here and it grows out. Do you see the twofold nature of the work of Christ? That he's healing or he's dealing with both of those things? Well, let's talk about his healing then. Dr. Kruger is a New Testament scholar from RTS. He makes the point that a Christian vision of the end is not simply that good things come true. The more profound beauty of the Christian vision is stated by Sam Gamgee. Do we know Sam? 
Lord of the Rings. Yep. For any of you that bet the over on how many sermons we get through before Lord of the Rings reference, sorry, you lost. Sam says this. He says this to Gandalf at the end of the last battle. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer in Jesus Christ is yes. We see it through the ministry of Jesus. What does he do? He goes about healing people, right? And every time he moves into a life and is healing someone, he's not just proving that he has the power to do it. He's actually telling people, this is a foretaste of what's to come. The sad things that have been a part of your life and your story for so long, they come untrue. The blind see, the lame walk, the bleeding stops, the lepers are clean, the dead rise. And every time these people wake up from what seems like a bad dream to recognize healing can come. And his healing goes beyond our physical bodies, but it touches deeply within our souls. His grace comes alive for us in a way that we do not become people or continue to be people that cause division and difficulty, but instead our relationships begin to flourish and grow as we live into this gospel humility. The wounds of life in our relationships in so many ways are healed and in the end they will be made new in a way that the sad things will come untrue. So how should we live then in light of this story? I think the first thing we do is we try to nestle this story as often as possible deeply in our hearts. We tell ourselves the story of the gospel of God's grace and of his big picture of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration over and over and over again. The first century church, they had it so deep within them. They held to it so tightly. It was such a rich source of hope for them that as they were burned to death, they would sing hymns of praise. As they were tossed into the arena They would sit and pray as warriors or lions closed in around them. Can you imagine the kind of hope that offers a peace that surpasses understanding for the whole world? Can you you even fathom it? The hope of Jesus Christ, it does this incredible thing. It gives the proper weight to the life that we live. We don't have to white knuckle it anymore. We can be free. Why? Because this is not all there is. This is not all there is. We live with it deeply in our hearts, but also we live with it richly on our lips. Let me ask you this. Why are you embarrassed of that story? You might say, I'm not. Okay, why aren't we talking about it more? (laughs) Why aren't we sharing the hope of the gospel more? And I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. Why are we not more adamantly and often sharing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would it take for us to grow like a defensive nature against false hopes that exist in the world? Kind of like, you know, like if someone's like, hey, the best steakhouse in town is Del Frisco's, right? And you're like, sorry, I'm a longtime Orlandian, and Linda's La Cantina is clearly the best, right? You feel this obligation in that moment when someone speaks something that is untrue, like that, that you have to stand up and defend it. But we let these cultural narratives pass by without saying a word about things. 
We let them go in and out, and they're the stories we consume over and over and over again that this will fix it and this will make things better. But as Christians, we've got the best story. Do you know that? You have the best one. No one has a better one than you. Why aren't we defending it? Why aren't we able to articulate it? Why aren't we able to gently nudge people in the direction when they think that they can find hope in something in this world? Why are we not saying Christ is better? Because he is. I, I believe it. We're not selling false goods as Christians. We're selling good goods. We're selling the best story there is, and it's true. It's not some Ponzi scheme. None of it. It's true. Jesus has come in this world as a savior, a redeemer, a healer, and a friend, and he offers this living water to people without cost. Friends, be careful of the stories that you're consuming. Justin Early, a writer, says, we become the stories we consume. It's kind of like you are what you eat. We become the stories that we consume. And so as we continue to consume the cultural narratives that tell us hope and joy and peace can be found in all sorts of things apart from Christ, what does it take for us to stand up and say, I'm sorry, but that's just not it? That's just not true. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Can you articulate it? Can I encourage you to be a better defender of the living hope this year? And I'll close with this quickly. We live in this life looking for clues of Jesus's second coming. We look around, we hunt for them. When we see the kingdom of God breaking out, we testify to it. When we see the, the glory of God's redemption and the beauty of his renewal in this world, we have to say, that's not happenstance. That's not an accident. But in, instead, that's what the new world's gonna look like because my Jesus is king and he reigns and he's got the power to do all of that. So when we see a hardened heart, humbled, and utter the words, I'm sorry, when they've maybe never said those words in their life, we call that out and say, that's, that's the grace of God. When a grandchild comes up and gives you a kiss on the cheek after you haven't seen them in a long time and says, I love you, Grandma, it's beautiful. Relationship, renewal, the grace of God. When two friends disagree, but instead of speaking harshly, they speak in gentle tones to one another, it's renewal. Call it out. It's the grace of God. When a heart is humbled out of its pride and surrenders to Jesus Christ, it's the grace of God. Each of these are tiny miracles, tiny moments where the kingdom's breaking through, and we should call those things out and testify because they are hints and foretastes of the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the words of the book of Revelation. We thank you for the vision of a new heavens and a new earth. Thank you for your kindness in revealing it to us not being frustrated or angry when we're slow to understand, but instead abounding in steadfast love. Oh Lord, you draw us nearer and nearer to your presence until one day we will enjoy your full presence in all eternity. Would you place that hope deeply within our hearts today? Would you remind us that we can live life with a proper weight, that it can be a little lighter, we can find ourselves free because this is not all that there is. 
and that you have promised to not only deal with sin and bring it to justice, but also to heal the wounds of this world. We are so hopeful for that time, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.